Welcome to the Wall Street Bulls and Bears podcast. We're joined today by Lei Kaoka, who owns 4,000 plus units and where he's responsible for finding investment opportunities, analysis, and marketing. Mr. Kaoka has obtained a BS in industrial engineering and an MS in civil engineering and construction management from the University of Washington. In addition to an analytic engineering background, Lane has real-world experience in working as a project manager for over $230 million of capital construction projects in both the public and private sectors. Working as a high-paid professional in corporate America and frustrated by the traditional wealth-building dogma, Lane was compelled to inspire and mentor other working professionals via the top-rated podcast at Simple Passive cashflow.com. He also has everything that your parents told you about building wealth was wrong. Don't buy a home to live in it. Don't do retirement accounts and build real assets like rental real estate. He'll be talking to us a lot about that later on. And being an entrepreneur, raising funds through his syndication business, through building relationships by his podcast and international marketing. The Hui Deal Pipeline Club has acquired more than $300 million of real estate and raised $40 million. So welcome, Lane. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. So tell us, what does a family office do? So, yeah, I think, you know, there's different levels of high net worth in investors out there. You know, I think this is beyond like, you know, just your typical real estate investor who owns a handful of rentals. When a family goes over five, ten million dollars, they're kind of put in this category of high net worth investor. And then even beyond that, you know, you you kind of get categorized under this term family office, which you know typically, and you know, I think when people most think of it, you know, think about a family who, you know, it's multi, probably multi generational net worth, maybe fifty, hundred million dollars plus. Okay, very good. Thank you. What are high cash flow markets where numbers make sense, in your opinion? Yeah, so I mean, we we invest in the workforce housing sector because you know the, our thesis is that the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer, and this middle class is becoming the lower middle class. So the demand for workforce style housing, you know, apartments that rent for a thousand bucks to fourteen hundred dollars a month, in particular. And in these types of more growing markets, you know, we stay away from a lot of the blue states due to poor landlord, you know, laws and into these more, you know, high cash flowing type of markets, such as your Arizonas, your Texases, your Alabamas and Floridas. Okay. How does one build a portfolio with little time and how do you find little time? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it depends on where you're at. So I'm, I'm writing a book right now called The Wealth Elevator. And the whole concept is, you know, it depends on where you are in terms of the wealth building journey. You know, when you're in the basement or what I call the first floor under a million dollars net worth, you know, you're, you're doing different types of things like buying houses, rehabbing them, flipping them, maybe even wholesaling. But as you start to become more of an accredited investor, certainly get on the family office or high net worth individual level or ultra high net worth individual level. And you start to seek out more institutional types of investments, such as syndications or or 
private funds of the like. And, you know, again, it depends on where you're at in terms of that net worth categories. We're all got, don't have that much time on our hands, right? I think everybody's busy, but, you know, it, it should be done in a scalable manner. You know, most of our investors really don't spend much more than a few hours a month to investing specific activities. And, you know, they focus on really what got them there, which is perhaps their high paid day job as a doctor or lawyer, engineer, accountant, or their business, right? That where they're high, that's really where their highest and best use is, where they're working on their business instead of in their business. Thank you. I'm sure you get this next question asked a million times. How best to use your money and what should people invest in? Yeah, it depends on where you're at. So I'll break that that kind of that wealth elevator concept down a little bit more. You know, if you're, when you're in the basement or the first floor and your net worth is under a million, a couple million dollars, you know, buying rental properties is a great way to start. That's how I personally started back in 2009. However, you know, as I became more of an accredited investor, it just became unscalable. In 2015, I had 11 rentals. And you know, even though I had a professional property management doing my role as the landlord for me, you know, I had an eviction or two every month, some kind of big catastrophe that happened every quarter. And for maybe a few thousand dollars of passive cash flow a month, you know, it wasn't too bad, but most of our clients are looking for maybe ten, twenty-five thousand dollars of passive cash flow a month at the very least. Therefore, you're gonna to have to get a much bigger rental property portfolio and that exception rate goes up. You know, now you're maybe talking about having eviction every single month or a catastrophe happening every single week that you have to contend with and manage your manager. And and then that was kind of why, you know, I personally started to go more into these syndications and private placements and private funds to invest more as a passive investor and be able to diversify in different geographic areas, different asset classes, and, you know, getting, you know, essentially acting like a REIT or a mutual fund of these different investments. But of course, unlike the traditional investment world where there's high fees, a lot of bad splits for investors, you know, you're, you're investing more directly with the operators in this case. Okay, thank you. And what are some of the best practices for managing properties remotely, especially as we just came out of, well, mostly COVID? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you're kind of the landlord mode, you're, you know, the biggest thing is to focus on being an investor, not a landlord. Therefore, you get a professional property manager between you and the tenant. You know, some people, they don't buy rental properties in the right areas, don't buy the right rental properties with the good rental value ratios. Therefore, they have to close the gap on the month to month basis. Therefore, they're the one, the poor soul that has to go and fix repairs or, you know, manage the checks with the tenant which is a huge liability issue. And as you, your net worth increases over time, you know, that can be a bigger liability than anything. And it, in the long run is kind of being, you know, pound dumb or, or dollar dumb, penny smart, right? Which is good in the beginning, again, you know, when you're in the beginning part of this wealth building paradigm, but as you become more of an accredited investor and become more of a high net worth investor, you know, you, you got to get out of that type of stuff. and you know, over time, you know, you get out of your rental properties. And I think that's where a lot of my experience comes from is, you know, learning from higher net worth, ultra high net worth investors after building relationships with them. And that's a general trend is to get rid of your direct ownership in rental properties or small apartment buildings in your own due to the liability 
the legal liability, the debt in your name, and this the the inability to scale and utilize your equity properly as opposed to in private placements and syndications. Okay. Tell us about turnkey rentals. What are they? How do people get to them? Yeah, I, th- I think they, they fill a great void for investors under a million dollars net worth who are, you know, they're new to real estate. They don't have very much money. They're starting out. They don't have very much time, right? A lot of the avatar that really lines up to be is, you know, investors that are, you know, they're busy at their day jobs. They maybe make a hundred, couple hundred thousand dollars or less at their day job. And they don't have the expertise, nor they have the time, or they really want to really get involved in, you know, interacting with property managers, brokers, analyzing deals. So, you know, there's some outfits out there that will buy rental properties, you know, beat up and dilapidated, fix it all up, put in new appliances, new paint job, new HVAC, new plumbing. Pretty much like, you know, as the name suggests, like they, they turn it into a turnkey rental for a new investor. And sometimes they'll even put a tenant in there for you. And, you know, great product for newer investors. Of course, you pay for this, right? A lot of times, if you were to do this all on your own, you might be able to save 10, 20 grand. But again, for newer investors who have some money, it's a great way to get started. But of course, as I mentioned, right, as your net worth increases, or especially as an accredited investor, people making over $250,000 a year, you're going to quickly scale out of this, I call it the adolescent phase of investing. Okay, interesting. How does somebody get involved in a syndication? And describe that. I mean, our listeners are very savvy, but for anyone who might be tuned in who are, who's just learning about it. Yeah, I mean the, the best I, the best analogy I can give for a syndication is kind of like an airplane. You know, in the airplane, you have the cockpit with your general partner, sponsors. You know, all the names pretty much mean the same thing for the people flying the airplane or the venture. That syndication may be buying a four hundred unit apartment complex, for example. And in coach, you have all the passive investors, the LPs, who bring the investment capital for the down payment, the capex. Uh, working capital reserves and everybody, you know, there's a big private place and memorandum put together. And, you know, the, the, in the way the airplane, everybody's aligned, right? If, if the cockpit goes down with the, the, the GPs, so does everybody else, right? But this allows investors to go into, you know, dozens and dozens of deals and diversify. And, you know, how do you find one of these things? Well, it's all who you know. It all it is relationships at the end of the day. And and I think this is what hurts a lot of first generational investors, kind of like myself. When I was, you know, almost an accredited investor, I didn't know anybody who had a million dollars net worth you know, openly, right? Because a lot of investors are very private about their wealth and what they do with their money. So I didn't personally have anybody in this space, you know, who you invest with, who to stay away from, more importantly. And you know, as you know, another common term that people have used is like these are country club deals, right? Of course, not too many people go and play golf at country clubs to, to these days because everybody's too busy to go play five hours of golf, right? But you know, it's just kind of the same thing. You know, a lot of these deals are are done within a private network of investors. In fact, I think you know, my staff did a little query on the SEC website, the Anchor Data database is what they call it, and 
the vast majority of deals, I would say 90 to 97% of deals out there are 506B offerings, which you don't need to be an accredited investor to get into, but you certainly do need to be in the private network of the person leading it, the general partners or the sponsor in that case. I think a lot of people have suddenly latched on to syndications and private placements after the, the Jobs Act because they allowed now for mass marketing of these deals. However, in those deals, they only do accept accredited investors. But like I said, those 506C offerings is a very small, small part of the old iceberg. Granted, it's mass marketed, which is why people see it. But I think, you know, again, in, in summary, like the majority of deals are kind of underneath the surface out of the public view, not mass marketed and just available through your private networks. And that's why as an investor, the biggest game-changing thing that you need to do is, you know, when you transition from doing your own landlording and managing your own managers on your own rental properties, is you have to, in a way, become more of a smoozer and meet other passive investors and build your own ecosystem to figure out where do you invest your money and to get into these, quote-unquote, country clubs. Thank you so much. What are some of the tricks of the rich that you can talk about? Yeah, I mean, it, it's actually really simple, right? And I, and I talk about this on my podcast because I've learned this from other peers and colleagues as I've kind of went on my own journey, my wealth building journey myself. And what I realized, a lot of these tricks and techniques that the wealthy do are, are very implementable by the average Joe out there. They are a little bit of counterintuitive. And I think you'll kind of realize, you know, you know, the first thing is going into alternative investments, these private placements and syndications. Why? Better returns than the traditional investment world, but also you save money on taxes, right? Real estate is a gives a lot of passive activity losses. And especially for investors implementing real estate professional status on their taxes, great way to possibly use your passive losses to offset your ordinary income which is a great strategy for high income earners like doctors who might have a stay at home spouse. You know, that's kind of that, that golden strategy right there. In addition, you know, we originate life insurance policies in a way that I think people are, are you know, in your crowd or might be familiar with infinite banking concept out there. We've kind of tweaked it to a more modern way, which we call accredited investor banking which with instead of you know having to make a multi-year, six-year, 10-year plan and having to stick with it, we are able to configure it where it's just one month some payment, allowing you to layer on multiple policies on top of there as your situation changes, which is great for you know newer investors kind of getting started or selling an asset and you want to just front load or quick start your family vault there. As far as like other tricks of the trade, you know, like wealthy families, they don't really use these traditional wealth building tactics such as retirement accounts, IRAs, you know, because a lot of the, the tax benefits just aren't realized in them. We like to invest cash so that we can get the passive losses on our personal taxes today to be able to use that to offset our, our AGI and our tax liability today. When you're investing through a retirement account, Number one, unless you're doing using a self-directed IRA custodian, you're not able to access alternative investments. You're captive to the garbage they have at your brokerage. And you are also not privy to getting the tax benefits out, right? Some people, they do invest 
in real estate opportunity syndications with a self-directed IRA or solo 401k. However, they may get the passive losses in there, but it does not flow to them personally. Okay, thank but, you so much. What are your three rules of investing? Oh, let me see if I get this right. So the first yeah. one, you know, I, I like to invest in hard assets, real things. You know, it seems, seems kind of obvious, right? But, you know, too many people are investing in like, you know, things that if things go belly up, there's nothing to collect, right? The second thing is invest in things that offer the world true utility, right? Like we, we like workforce housing because aside from the obvious fact that, you know, land, they're not making any more of it, you know, what other utility such as people living in houses or apartments that how will that ever get disrupted? Right. Not saying that anything it ever will not be, but really when you think about that bare necessity in a world where the population is increasing, especially in the lower middle class, you know, those are the kind of the fundamentals I want to be, you know, going with. And that's kind of why, like, you know, I'm not a huge fan of crypto or, you know, precious metals because they don't cash flow and they're not a they may be a real hard tangible asset like go crypto, maybe not. But what utility do they provide in the world other than an exchange of currency? Where in reality, real estate, apartment buildings, houses, it really is a diversified pool of commodities, you know, which is no different than gold in, in, in a way. And I think the last one, the reason why I, I like, you know, investing in this type of stuff is tax benefits, right? You're investing in your portfolio returns, stock market, mutual funds, you don't get the tax, same tax benefits as you do when you invest in real estate. Thank you so much. What uh, would you say, you talked about like uh, the lower middle class or uh, lower middle classes. What's the math behind those rental analyses? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's kind of hard to go in a podcast format, but you know, I think the first, the, the quick and dirty is like the rent to value ratio. You know, you take a house that is $100,000 you typically want to be able to get at least $900, $1,000 a month rent on that. We, we call that the 1% rent to value rule. The reason being is, you know, you're going to have expenses pop up, you know, your things are going to break. And especially you have to account for big CapEx items to break over time. The, you know, you have to replace the roof every 20 years or so, maybe the driveway or the appliances, right? That needs to be accounted for and, you know, somehow buried into your your performa that you do. But if you just go by the quick and dirty 1% rent to value rule, you know, that's a quick way of quickly determining, especially for new investors, right? I think the common mistake are investors will buy in a high priced area, but more importantly, a poor rent to value ratio like California. You know, there they'll be lucky to buy a, a halfway decent house for $400,000, but that house may only rent for $2,000 a month which is half a rent, half a, a percent rent to value ratio, which is not higher than that 1%. And you just aren't going to be able to cash flow on that. And I think that's one of the, our, you know, basis of investing. We want to be able to cash flow on the asset as opposed to feeding an asset, you know, bleeding cash every month and just kind of hoping on praying on appreciation to help us out. Now, appreciation typically comes in real estate, which is again, why we invest in the asset class, but I don't feel like it's prudent to just rely on appreciation all day long. Very good. Thank you so much. We talked a little bit about syndications in the beginning, but how does one raise or syndicate funds? 
Yeah, I mean, I think we we established ourselves with a good track record. You know, we kind of went out 2016, 2017. Initially, we would teach investors how to buy, like we mentioned earlier, those little turnkey rentals. But as our investor group grew with us and their net worth grew, you know, we all became more accredited high net worth investors and now kind of expanding to the family office side. And, you know, for those investors, like the demand was, you know, not little houses anymore. Like I said, they're not scalable, but, you know, to buy apartment complexes and larger commercial assets. So, you know, in the beginning, we would buy little class C multifamilies, you know, like 30 units, 50 units, 70 units. They were the toughest to run, I will admit that, but, you know, that what kind of gave us our start. And then, you know, later on, we started to buy larger class B assets. And today, you know, we're, we're developing, kind of moving up the spectrum, right? You know, there's a lot of people that will raise capital and syndicate funds out there these days, and they, they kind of follow the same progression, right? Start with the small class C stuff, then a little bit more class B stuff. We've just been constantly trying to swim upstream and kind of get away from the competition. For us, the way that we differentiate ourselves, you know, is more on the preferred equity side or the, you know, just ground up development where we can create the most ultimate value add right there. You know, we, we're kind of looking at like building projects, you know, for, you know, just under $200,000 a unit that a lot of guys will buy beat up class B 1980s properties that has a whole bunch of CapEx problems for about the same price, or maybe even more you see in some of these markets. And I think that that's, you know, how do you do it? Just doing what we say we're going to do and just you know building a track record slowly over time. Okay, thank you. Tell me about in the intro, I mentioned the Hui Deal Pipeline Club. What is that about? Well, it was kind of, the vision kind of starting out, right? Like I personally, you know, I'm not a huge, we do have a large following and brand online. However, you know, what I kind of keep coming back to my own personality being an introvert is, you know, a good collection of, you know, individuals within a more um, private organization, you know, where there's that safety where people know each other and, you know, can bounce investment ideas off of each other and also investments. You know, you see a lot of groups out there that are kind of just put together in like a free form or a form format. And you don't know these people, right? There's no community. There's no relationship building amongst its members. And that was kind of the way we, I mean, at least that was my personal vision that I wanted to stay away from. And, you know, maybe it just kind of comes from, you know, I, I'm here in Hawaii and that's kind of a cultural thing out here. It's very you know, family oriented and people know each other. It's very relationship driven. It's more quality than quantity than if anything. Okay, thank you so much. Tell us what good books you'd recommend to listeners. Oh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of like books. I think if you're new, The Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller, you know, I've written my short first short book, The Journey to Simple Passive Cash Flow. And then, you know, our bigger, more reference guide is The Wealth Elevator coming out soon in later on in 2023. But, you know, I think once you read, you know, a couple of books and especially that Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller, I would say get out there and meet other investors and build relationships. Yeah, I think too often investors get stuck in these the book world, right? Or especially the podcast world. And, you know, they, I would say put more emphasis on 
you know, meeting other real purely passive accredited investors, because, you know, obviously the common thing out there, maybe people are listening and maybe you're guilty to it. Cause I was, you know, you, you got guys out there that'll listen to hundreds of hours of podcasts and they haven't done anything. And from what I've seen from investors, it's the ones that meet other people and maybe listen to a podcast here or there. Those are the ones that actually make progress. Thank you. How can people find you? What's the easiest way to find? You? Yeah, they can Google me, Lane, at simplepassivecashflow.com is the URL. They can check out the podcast or they can check out the new book, The Wealth Elevator. If people are interested, they can shoot me an email, lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. Thank you so much, Lane. Thank you for spending time with us today. Anything you wished I had asked you that I didn't? No, no, I think that's good. Yeah. Thank you so much.